Welcome to Let's Unpack That. I'm Liana. I'm Brianna. I'm Chuck. And we're your friends navigating this complicated, messy, painful, and beautiful experience of life with you through human story and connection, starting with our own. You're safe here and we see you. So, let's unpack that. Hey guys, we are starting another episode of Let's Unpack That. We got your favorite hosts here. Hopefully some of you have seen our Mean Girls intro by now. Thanks to Brianna. The TikTok genius. (laughs) Yeah, kind of introducing all of us. Um, But for today's episode, it was kind of more of a me idea, I guess. Um, We want to talk about our villain era, Um, especially Liana and I feel like we're kind of in our villain era phase. And we'll get into what that kind of means for us and why we're calling it that. Um, But do you guys want to kind of talk about why we first, or I guess I could first talk about what made me um, dive into the villain era stuff? Um, so we were actually all talking. It was when we were figuring out podcast episodes and things, but before we always, we're all friends. So what we just, (laughs) shocking. We talk outside of the podcast. That's weird. (laughs) Yeah. Charles and I, it's a little shaky at times, but we do like to shoot the poop, you know, like Ursula says, never (laughs) underestimate the power of body language. Yeah. Exactly. My legs are pointed inward right now. Yeah. They're, they're <laughs> in good terms. What's happening right now? <laughs> yeah, sorry. Our legs are crossed the wrong way. I don't know. Um, but yeah, so we were talking about what's happening in life and things. And I was actually in a not great headspace. I just was feeling like I have been painted um, as a villain to a lot of people. And I feel like most in most situations instead of you know finding the good or seeing the good they're trying to pick me apart and trying to find every reason to prove that narrative to be true and we kind of dove into um being a villain in other people's stories in lisa diamond's episode uh but i kept bringing up that villain thing and liana had a really cool quote that we that kind of sparked my interest in almost embracing this villain era um do you do you kind of remember that quote or do we need to look it up yeah it might not be verbatim you know but it was something to the effect of how when we're making choices that we're making now since most of our lives at least from my personal experience, I made choices because I knew it would make people around me happy. And so stepping to a space where I'm now making choices, trying to think about what would make me happy has been a little bit uncomfortable because, yeah, you see the byproduct of that when people have gotten so used to you showing up a certain way. Uh, and talking about how people perceive others as villains, I was making the observation that sometimes, a lot of times, people see others as villains if that person makes them uncomfortable in some way. Yeah. And 
when she said that, I was like, oh my gosh, that's exactly it. Like everything I did before in my life made everyone around me comfortable. That was my entire goal was the whole people pleasing idea. Like I am going to do everything that everyone wants me to do. And I'm going to try to ruffle as little feathers as possible. And now since coming out, I've ruffled tons of feathers and I am having to sit with being not being a people pleaser anymore and having people see me more in a negative light. The sad thing, though, with that is like when you were people pleasing and doing things to make everyone happy, they were comfortable. And the only one that was uncomfortable was you, the one person that it should, you know, it should matter the most. You were the one that was like losing. Yeah, man, that's good. I like that because it that was the case. I mean, inside, I felt like I was kind of dying uh, in a sense, like there's still, you know, there's a lot of aspects of me that are me no matter what, but there was this part of me that was, um, it felt forbidden. It felt secret. It felt like a pit in my stomach. And there's so much shame that goes into that too. Like you had to feel a lot of shame knowing that you had like these secrets or these authentic like pieces of you that you weren't able to share with anyone. Yeah. And it goes beyond like sexuality too. It was religion. It was, I mean, honestly, almost every facet of my life, I would take what people were saying and try to be what everyone thought the best type of person was instead of being authentically me and embracing me and maybe the parts of me that aren't as ideal or the parts of me that are ideal, but some people just don't think they're ideal, which what is, was, in, which is no, you're good. Go ahead, Liana, so, which you is go. interesting because if you're just trying to emulate what you think the people around you want, then you don't actually ever get to figure out who you are. Right. And so like there are a lot of catalysts for discovering your authentic identity that can be travel, exposure to new ideas, putting yourself in like different contexts to figure out like what you really think outside of kind of like a group think setting. Cause that's something that can be a little bit hard is if you don't ever have anything else to compare yourself against and see what you feel. But it winds up, at least for me, it was interesting to recognize like how you feel super lonely because you don't actually ultimately know what you want. You're just like this mirror back to everyone else. And like big picture, one of the things that I've learned as I've gone through not people pleasing anymore. It's not easy. It's still super uncomfortable. And I still, even though I I know I'm making the right choices for me and this is what I want, it doesn't mean all of a sudden I'm just like super happy all the time because I still have to deal with like guilt sometimes and like the burden of recognizing that people that I do care about, I've like hurt or disappointed in some way, you know? And so it's like this balance point because <clears throat> there are some like true villains, like we were talking about earlier, when we're saying you're villainy, we're, we're not saying to become like unkind. selfish, unkind, at like the cost of everybody else kind of a thing. It's it's nuanced. But in a way, if, if you've always given yourself away, learning how to call out what is yours and only yours is a selfish act, right? Yeah. Well, and that kind of ties into... I There was a TikToker that kind of started this idea of the villain era. Vill, villain era. Um, her name's Padamini, and 
she refers to this as um, it's especially, she says, for a lot of chronic people pleasers, our villain era is literally just setting and asserting our boundaries, which is interesting because we have this idea of villain being something that's negative or that you're trying to hurt people, but it's actually the villain era idea is to embrace the fact that you aren't doing that. You're just being authentic. You're, you're setting boundaries. I feel like it comes down to this concept of sovereignty, which is like ownership over yourself and recognizing that you own yourself. Nobody else owns you and you get to decide how to give yourself to the people that you love. But if you're coming from a people pleasing angle, you didn't own yourself. Everybody else owned you. So when you start asserting, actually, no, I am mine. This is mine. It does feel to those people because of how you've operated your whole life, like you are taking something from them that's theirs, right? Yeah. I know it's interesting to think how it would feel from other people's perspective. And I can see why when I came out, I did get such a negative reaction. I guess, you know, I, I say that, but I got a lot of positive, overwhelmingly more positive than I did negative. But there were a few situations and a few people that I got a very negative, um, reaction with it. And I think it was because of that, especially, you know, those people were particularly close to me. And they were used to the picture that I had painted for them before. And for them to have to repaint or or see me repainted, that would be hard. Or almost feel like they have to get to know you again. Like, oh my gosh, like everything I knew about Charles Z like feels wrong. Like I was I misled or did I really not know her? And it probably felt, I don't know, like like a weight was lifted off your shoulders because you're like, man, who I've always been is who I get to be now. And so you're wanting everyone to embrace that and accept it. And the fact that they didn't probably did feel super lonely for you. Yeah. And and it was the dichotomy again of, wow, I'm overwhelmingly excited to be free of the secret and feel more authentically me but at the same time kind of gets slammed down while you're feeling that way. Mm-hmm. And it almost instills like, you know, that feeling of, wow, like who I really am isn't good enough. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah, yeah, there's a ton of pushback with that. With, with, in your life, Liana, I know we've talked about this and Brianna has said, you know, she kind of has always lived her life a little bit more this way where I've she's always been a villain. Yeah. She's embraced <laughs> wow. her villain era always. She's, 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 she's just, be doing villain era classes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She should be teaching. We'll this. have both in person yeah. and online. You can but sign I mean, up I on can Patreon. Totally see, and I can, you know, think of like times where I do get stuck in that mindset and, and like, I mean, it is a good reminder for anyone. There's been situations where, I've like, you know, was seeking validation where I shouldn't have been or, you know, you like felt where I felt uncomfortable in my own skin. And I don't know, it's just a good reminder, I think, for all of us and our listeners and just something everyone should be aware of. 
It's yeah. easy to get sucked back into those people-pleasing tendencies. Well, and as human beings, we don't ever exist independent of anyone else, right? We're always part of these complex social systems. And a lot of times we were, I mean, we were born into that system, right? Like in our families. And so we're in this space that we have agreed to without even realizing we would have, we've agreed to it and understanding what that meant, you know? And so something that's something that's been interesting for me as I got to like late 20s and now early 30s to recognize that I can see it's it's a very like abstract concept trying to understand like those relational connections between you and your parents, you and your siblings, you and your grandparents and like then onward from there, like extended family and friends and like for me growing up in like a conservative church culture, like what being part of that social network meant. And so again, you kind of get swept into that without recognizing you're in that space. And then there's some sort of catalyst that makes you have to question, actually, do I want to be inhabiting this space anymore? And stepping out of that, it's I think of it kind of like a spider web, right? Like each thread is by itself, but it's connected to everything else. And if you flick part of the spider web, the whole thing shakes. Yeah. And so it makes sense that they would react like it was its own structure before, but it, you know, now that I've flicked this thread or like stepped out of it, it's it is rippling out and impacting everyone else. So it's like that paradox of it's not all about me. It like I am tied into a community and also it is. I get to decide what I want and then people can decide likewise if they want to to be part of this new me, this new structure, you know. So how do you guys think it or what, what would be the best approach? Maybe Brianna will be the one to kind of ask this question because she's kind of lived it more. But what would be the best approach in being able to be authentic, not be a people pleaser, kind of embrace this villain era, but also hold space for other people and recognize that we are affecting them? That little you know thread that we're tapping could be a big thread for them and it could really impact their life significantly shake their whole world I honestly think a lot of it comes down to tact and like communication like if you're able to set boundaries in a healthy way and have like positive healthy relationships with people like they're gonna almost respect that you have these boundaries and if you're you know not coming across as like I don't know. I guess a lot of it is like being able to say no to people. If someone asks a favor of you and you, you know, for instance, you can't do it or your schedule is super full, you don't say like, well, you know, I'm really busy. Like, why would you ask me that? Obviously, I can't do it. You respond in a way of like, oh, wow, I'd really love to help you with that. And maybe, you know, right now I'm just super busy. But another time, like, you know, if I can do that for you, I would love to. And I think being able to eloquently convey that without like the, I don't know, the snarkiness or the, you know, negative, the negative uh, conversation. I think a lot of times people are going to respect your boundaries. Yeah. I think it's interesting because like that whole concept of the spider web and how we relate to each other. Um, going back to like Lisa Diamond's episode, she was talking about how we each get to like craft our, our narrative that we see the world through and what makes sense for us. 
and other people get to craft their narrative and what they see the world through and how it makes sense for them. But just like when I started questioning my sexuality, that made me question everything else in my life because it was such a big catalyst. I can see and have empathy for how me being connected into the networks that I am, me making that shift had an impact on them having to question the way that they understood, like for my parents, me uh, in relation to like them and my siblings and everything else that they thought about like the future that they would have with me in some ways. So, I mean, that's been a little bit fraught with them and like I love them and they've been there for me in lots of ways. And also we're still very much trying to like redefine how we relate to each other but I'm trying to have empathy for how unmooring that is to have like what it feels like is the ground ripped out from under you, you know? Well, and I think um, the fact that you and I in particular have religion that we're also, we, you were doing it kind of at the same time. I did my religious, um, shaking of everyone's web first and then my sexuality. So first they're coming to grips with me leaving the church and knowing me as a member of the LDS church and having all those standards that the LDS church has, living up to all of those expectations, seeing me deconstruct that and change in that way. And then having to kind of accept that. And then again, me shaking it up and also surprising everyone by saying, I'm not straight. I don't think I'm straight. (laughs) And because I had done such a good job of people pleasing in all those ways, most people told me they had no idea. And so... I think in some cases when people have a little bit of an idea, it's something that they can come to grips with and they're like, eh, I saw this coming. But at least in my situation, I think yours a little, Liana, they had no idea. And so it rocked them even more. Okay, wait. You're not straight? <laughs> <laughs> Back up. <laughs> you should know. I, I honestly don't think, though, that like people are able to reach their full potential unless they do embrace their like inner villain. I, I do think it's understanding. This is one thing that's been really important for me as I've gone through the deconstruction of like some of the religious programming is in religion you're taught um, like extremes. You're either going to – you have to be all good. You can't even have like bad thoughts like – the pinnacle is that you will only ever be light, right? Or conversely, you're told that like there's nothing redeeming about you and so you have to rely on somebody else to give you anything worthwhile or good, right? And so like both of those ends, you're either like extreme good or like pure evil and mm-hmm. there's no in between and that's really hard. But I think coming into deconstructing all of that, embracing like that villain or embracing the darkness that we all kind of have and like figuring out how to integrate that and recognize that as human beings, we are complex and we do have potential for like really beautiful, loving, good acts. We also have potential if we're not like watching ourselves to do things that are really harmful and hurtful. It's not either or, you know? Yeah. Well, that actually kind of, kind of reminds me of 
I, when I did start to set boundaries more recently in my life and I, um, voice some thoughts and kind of pain that I was experiencing. And then I set boundaries for certain people in my life. And immediately after doing it, I was like, I probably shouldn't have done that. I I shouldn't have done this. This is going to cause drama. It's going to make things harder in my life. And Brianna said, just stop for a sec and just enjoy the fact that you got it like off of your chest finally, like enjoy that. They're going to make you a villain. Why don't you just embrace it for a second? And, and at the same time, recognize what I did wasn't to hurt anyone. It was to set boundaries to keep me safe, to keep my family safe. And, and that was okay. And, and to set things right with you, which that should be just as important. Yeah. And I, <laughs> I loved it because it was true. I don't, I don't embrace the, that villain era like I should. I don't embrace making people uncomfortable. It, it, it makes me uncomfortable when I know I'm making someone else uncomfortable. And when I set boundaries, I'm worried that I'm hurting people's feelings or making them uncomfortable. And trying to deconstruct that, I've realized because I haven't set those boundaries, it's actually caused more drama for me in my life. And I, I read some quote, and I'm going to butcher it, but it was something to the extent of setting boundaries now to avoid drama later. And I realized that's what I haven't been doing. And now that I'm doing it, I might have this moment where people perceive me a certain way, but in the long run, it's going to save a lot of headache. So, but in setting boundaries, if you do make someone uncomfortable or they get defensive or upset, like that's when you have a conversation. Let's, let's talk about it. I don't think that anyone is coming through, like coming from a place of like being malicious. No one is innately trying to do bad for others. That's my personal belief. Mm -hmm. And it's not that I want bad things for you. It's I need good things for me and I know what I need. So those are the boundaries I'm going to put in place. Yeah. I like, sorry. I I like this quote from Brene Brown, um, about boundaries. Everyone loves Brene. Like she's about being authentic, vulnerable boundaries. Like, you know, her, everyone loves Brene. (laughs) I know her. (laughs) She'll be on the show next week. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but she says boundaries are a prerequisite for compassion and empathy. We can't connect with someone unless we're clear about where we end and they begin. If there's no autonomy between people, then there's no compassion or empathy, just an enmeshment, which is pretty interesting because that's what we're talking about, how we are interconnected. But how do we find that point where we are separate people? We are separate beings from them. And how do we create boundaries at that point where we still are able to show compa- compassion and empathy if they are hurt because of those boundaries? Do you guys have any ideas? Yeah, that's hard. I mean, I think it requires a level of 
emotional maturity and like we all kind of develop that in different contexts and at different paces depending on the settings that we grew up in or how we encounter like these concepts right but I think it's one recognizing that like we're responsible for our own emotions period like even if somebody else hurts us we're responsible for our emotions two once we understand that like the the other party that we're engaging with also has to understand the same thing and that's hard because that might not be something they understand yet and if it isn't that's where boundaries come in place where you just have to tell them I'm really sorry you're feeling like this I can't fix your emotions for you I want to like figure out how to fix our dynamic in our relationship but like I need you to handle that you know obviously though on the same side of that if you are causing that person like emotional harm Mm -hmm. like you need to be aware of that too abusive (laughs) dynamics are a different thing right so like this is this Mm -hmm. is assuming that there isn't an abuser involved right yeah it's assuming both parties have Mm -hmm. emotional intelligence Mm -hmm. like we need to clarify that but yeah but i think more than anything you us being aware if we are setting the boundaries we have to have that emotional intelligence Mm -hmm. to recognize that but we also need to know that ideally they have the same emotional intelligence but that might not be the case and that's where you decide like how close of a dynamic I think you can have with someone like I'm in this process with some people in my life right where I'm like I love you and I really want us to be able to have as close a relationship as possible this is how I need to be treated. This is how I need to be interacted with. These are my non-starters. If they can adhere to that, we can be close. And like, I really liked the idea. I don't remember where I read it or who said it, but the idea that boundaries actually facilitate more closeness than you could have without them because it's it's healthy. Yeah, like I read if, that too. It yeah. helps relationships grow. If there's a yeah. fence, you know how close you can get mm-hmm. to each other without having to like worry about crossing crossing lines or causing pain you know interesting so the idea that because a boundary is set you're less likely to go over those boundaries right I immediately thought of like a shock collar like a dog wearing a shock collar they know where that line is so they have freedom to run within that whole space but knowing that if I go over that boundary Something bad is going it's to gonna happen. It's going to cause pain. Yeah. For both people, yeah. probably. Yeah, yeah that's you know? what I pictured. Yourself, obviously, but then the, <laughs> if and you're then, getting shocked. But also the owner seeing it. No one wants to see their dog in pain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I like that concept. And it's tricky if you're coming from like a really ingrained people-pleasing background because like we were saying earlier, speaking my needs and speaking my truth has been painful. It's not been fun. Like when I had this conversation with my parents initially, like I felt the pain of them not liking what they were hearing about me and feeling like rejected over it. But then on top of that, I felt guilty for making them feel rejected because I wasn't what they wanted me to be anymore. Does that make sense? So it was like two different layers. It was really complex and like not a comfortable space to inhabit. And it's still is a thing that's easy for me to want to like fall back into is like caretaking emotions or wanting to make somebody feel better. But I feel like one of the things I've been learning is I've kind of gone through how to set boundaries and like not being a people pleaser anymore. It's not that I'm not a caring person. And part of that is tied into like, you know, how we grew up, but then also religious programming that deals with like giving away of yourself totally, like the best you is in service to other people kind of a thing. 
uh, is understanding that when we're in that space of like caretaking or people pleasing, really it's just control manifesting. We're trying to control how they feel and make sure that they only ever feel good because we can't handle when they don't feel good. And so I, I thought that was an interesting way to flip it and understand that really it's a, it, it's asserting our voice for ourselves, taking back control and our, over our own sovereignty, but then also letting control go for how other people feel and how they react to us and recognizing if they don't want to adhere to those boundaries, if they don't want to be close the same way I do, there's nothing I can do about that. I can't control it. That's been the I hardest thing for me. I, I want, I think because I did control the narrative that people had of me for so long because of those people pleasing aspects of me, I was able to, in a weird way, you know, not meaning to, but control the way that they pictured me. And now letting go of that control is so hard. But I'm realizing with you saying that, I had I was controlling the way other people viewed me, but I was I gave control of myself away, mm-hmm. which is interesting because I never thought of it. And why was I so comfortable giving my con- my control of myself away and wanting to control other people's view of me? And now it's been uncomfortable for me when I've given myself control back to hand the reins off to everyone else and let them view me however they want to view me. I feel like you told me this story, and I don't know if you want to share it or not, but um, I think you were a child when this happened. But you remember, like, like, you would hear people say, like, oh, I don't like that about someone, or, like, how could they act like that? And you would do, like, little mental, like, cliff notes like oh then you know don't do this don't do that and that's kind of how you like formed your personality kind of early on is that yeah for sure I didn't give you a choice to talk about it I just told the story myself (laughs) no we we were on the heels of control conversation yeah exactly no I'm sorry I think we actually maybe mentioned that in one of our podcasts okay Uh I know we've talked about it but yeah I I really would make all of these notes of what people should or shouldn't be. And I tried to be that. And I remember even from a young age, I mean, junior high, high school, like trying to fit in these boxes that I just didn't fit in. And me trying didn't make me fit in. I mean, I, (laughs) I definitely wasn't popular (laughs) in either of those settings. So me trying to fit all of those boxes didn't really work. I wasn't I guess in some ways I used religion as my biggest box. And so I almost had a moral superiority in that way because I, and maybe use that as my excuse for why I wasn't as popular because yeah, I'm just doing all the things that I'm supposed to be doing. You made some religion of these people, your whole personality. Yeah. Where <laughs> some of these people are doing what they want to do. And, and maybe part of our, our issue with people pleasing is tied to religion, like you said, because I think religion a lot of times is giving control to whatever organization you're in to dictate who and what you should be in order to get to, to heaven. Or in my case, I guess it's still heaven, but like the celestial kingdom. Or um, even just to stay on the path to that, you know? Yeah. 
you had to like thinking shorter goals like if you want to stay on the path to heaven you have to do this and this and this like don't stray away from that yeah and I did I mean I did give up control of my life to religion and so maybe that is why that's more comfortable for me and now learning to be more in control of me and letting go of everyone else has been hard because before I just gave control of myself away easily which is interesting because it is kind of comforting in ways to feel like there's somebody bigger and smarter who knows better and who can tell you what to do. You know, like mm-hmm. there's this weird comfort in that space, kind of like, I mean, to give a really basic analogy, if you're learning how to ice skate, you use little granny walker, you know, yeah. Yeah. you feel safe because you're not going to fall, but you're not free. You're like shuffling along super slow. And real freedom is scary because you recognize, you have to recognize a couple of different things. One, that like you control outcome. So if it works or if it doesn't work, it's on you. It's not on anybody else. And then two, you also have to recognize your limitations because whenever we, I feel like whenever we outsource our power to someone else to tell us what to do, we are assuming that they're smarter and they have more information than we do. So does it really come down to trusting yourself, do you think? Totally. And that's scary too, because you have to trust yourself, but you also have to recognize that you don't know everything. And that's why it's like Mm -hmm. dynamic. And so, you know, life continues on. Because you could be totally delusional and say, I trust myself fully, but you don't know anything about what you're talking about. So you do need to kind of look for outside resources. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a balance point, right? Like you look for information, you learn from other people, you have that humility. And also ultimately you do have to trust yourself And I think that anybody who's telling you to outsource, you know, your authority or like sovereignty to somebody else above what you think is not somebody you should trust. Well, you know, it's that's interesting because it reminds me of um, I was actually talking to uh, my ex's cousin and um, we were having a discussion on how I, I don't trust my own voice. Um, I will reach out to people to get validation for what, what I think is right. I'll tell the story and I try to be as fair to both parties as possible. I want Chris criticism on how I handled something, you know, tell me I need to do better. Tell me what I could have said better. All of those things. you know, I'm not looking for, a yes, man. I really want someone to like tell me what I did wrong. And she was, she, she said to me, she's like, you need to learn to trust your own voice. She's like, you know, what's best for you and you need to learn to trust it. And I was like, but also like having, (laughs) having people in your life that will like call you out. Like if you have close relationships and you are like, fully trusting yourself but I mean you could be wrong sometimes and having someone that really cares about you and they're like hey like Liana like you really need to think about what you're doing this may feel right or you know but something seems off well and the dynamic of at least for me I question myself so much I overanalyze what I'm thinking and how I could be wrong and I worry what if my voice is wrong? What if I am one of those people that maybe is kind of crazy or they think they're right 
And what if I'm doing that right now? And I think, I mean, tell me what you guys think, but how do we know if we can trust our own voice? Yeah, I think that's a good question. I think I think what Brie was saying is valid. Like we find the people that we do trust to like lean on. But I still think that those people who we trust who would maybe give us perspective if something's going off won't be like, this is how you should do it. Listen to me. They'll be like, hey, this is what I'm seeing with what's happening. And like maybe you should take that into consideration. Ultimately, it's still your choice. But like I don't know if you see it this way because I don't think it's a question of them trying to tell us what to do so much as them trying to give us perspective. I think that's a big difference between the two. Yeah, I like that. I think... I think maybe too is like knowing yourself well enough to know if you are that person that does wants to take accountability for their actions and what they've done to hurt people. I mean, I like to think that that's who I am. I try to take accountability for the pain that I have caused people and I try to see what I could have done better in certain situations, but I'm not perfect. I know I'm not. So I question myself like, okay, what could I have done better? What could I do better next time? And I'm wondering, like, does everyone do that? Do we, do you think? I do. (laughs) I think if you're self-aware, probably. Yeah. And I, I get that people, or I get that like questioning of self kind of behavior because I do the same thing where you're like but am I right what if I don't really know am I missing something but you you also don't want to be like the fall guy the one's like I'm sorry I'm sorry like saying sorry constantly because I think you know I don't know it seems like especially women sometimes fall into that where Mm -hmm. they're over apologizing when you may have not have done anything wrong when I think ultimately like you have to recognize sometimes things that you need and want are going to cause other people pain because it's not what they need or want, you know? And you have to be okay with that to an extent, right? Like, I mean, again, this is barring abuse, manipulation, coercion, like in a healthy space, basic example. If you start going on dates with somebody and four dates in, you realize you don't want to date them, but they want to date you, it's going to cause them pain when you tell them you don't want to date them. But there's a tactful and loving way totally. to tell them. But you know? And then that's where it comes in. You have to be okay with hurting someone. And like you said, you're not in control of their emotions or their feelings. They are. So you have to be okay with, okay, I did my part. Now they have to do like their own healing, even if I somehow cause them pain. Well, and I think recognizing that because I think there's sometimes where I'm like, okay, I'm gonna approach this like the best possible way to avoid as much pain and hurt as possible. Hopefully, they're gonna receive it okay. She's talking about me right now, guys. <laughs> <laughs> and then it isn't received well, mm-hmm. still. And recognizing that we have to still be okay with that aspect. And I, I, I guess that is kind of embracing that villain era. Like, okay, I'm going to do this as loving, healthy as possible, but I'm setting boundaries. I'm setting expectations. I am going to tell when certain things don't serve me anymore. 
And now it's your turn. You get to respond however you want and letting go of the control of how they're going to respond because you can say and do things as loving as possible. Think that you found the secret way of confrontation and making it perfect and it's not going to work. You know, people are not going to respond the way that you want them to probably 90% of the time. Yeah. I think that's the other thing that's really important with boundaries. Like the more I've learned about them is you recognize when you're setting your boundaries, it is never, and it can't ever be about controlling someone else's behavior. It's just about keeping you safe. So like when you set that boundary, like I've had to learn there are multiple parts to that, right? This is what I need in a concrete way. Like I don't want to talk to you about this subject. If this comes up, then I'm going to have to remove myself from the conversation. And either they'll adhere to that and you'll be able to like spend time together and talk about everything else. Or if they don't, if it keeps coming up and they're crossing your boundary, it's going to mean you can't talk to them as much if at all, right? And it's, you have to be okay with the fact that if you set that boundary, it might result in more space from that person if they can't listen to it. But it's about protecting you, not about changing their behavior, right? Because ultimately they could control that. And that like really ties into respect, which I feel like that is something I struggle with, not being disrespectful, but I cannot stand feeling disrespected. Mm-hmm. And I've been like that for as long as I can remember. So like you were saying, like, I can't have this conversation anymore. And if you bring it up, I'm going to need to remove myself from the situation. To me, it's like, okay, I set that boundary. And then if they're still doing it, I feel wildly disrespected in situations like that. And then that triggers me and I get, I get pretty upset. Yeah. I think it, look, to that concept of respect, it goes to that root of understanding sovereignty, right? Like you're owning yourself and you're letting them who, whomever the party is like own themselves. You're not trying to tell them what to do, but ultimately like you're respecting yourself. And I think that's one of the big things I've learned too, with the setting boundaries is like, If I don't uphold my boundaries and protect myself, then I'm communicating to myself that I don't respect myself, you know? I struggle with that even in, like, parenting. Like, I am very big on respect with our kids, Mm -hmm. and that is something I'm constantly trying to instill in them. When they're disrespectful, it does trigger, like, something in me where I feel, like, almost like I kind of spiral, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I want to know where that comes from. I don't know. I, I I mean, mine's a little bit different when it comes to like kids and parenting and everything, but I feel like, and it's kind of, you know, I guess that caveats into what I was thinking about, but, um, with parenting, I've noticed since coming out, my parenting is far more scrutinized, Hmm. which is, interesting um maybe something I did expect to an extent but not to the extent that it has been and the interesting part for me or not interesting the painful part for me is that I actually think that I'm a better mom now than I was before and trying to trust that in myself that I know that that's true when I'm getting criticism from other people in my life about it um, has been hard but 
I don't know if this is something, and maybe like some of our listeners can reach out if they've experienced this since coming out, if they did have kids um, and or were married and had kids and, you know, all of those things and then came out of the closet. But I have noticed that has been one of the biggest areas in my life that I felt like all of a sudden a villain. Mm. And I it hurts me because I know that I'm not a perfect parent. Um, nobody I, is. Nobody <laughs> is, so but know. I know that, like, I've said from the beginning of being a parent, like, this doesn't come easily to me. Some people, it comes easily to. Brianna is one of those people. She just naturally is an amazing mom, and she loves that part of her. That's a big, huge part of her. For me, I feel like I was pushed into that role more because of religion. And I wanted it. You know, I did want to have kids. But I wonder now if that really would have been as big of a pull for me had I had more freedom to have other options. And and seeing how it didn't come as natural to me. It has taken a lot of work for me to be the mom I want to be for my kids. And every day I fell. But it's interesting. I feel better about my parenting now. But trusting that voice has been so hard because I feel criticized far more now than before from extended families, from from other parties. And it hurts. It's hurt me. And I just have had a hard time embracing the villain era surrounding that. That's, you know, that kind of makes me sad hearing you say that because I do think you're a great mom. Um, maybe in like different ways or not the, you know, the ways that people like notice, you know, like, oh, you're like so like doting or so nurturing. Like there's other ways to be a, a great parent. You don't have to follow those like guidelines. But I, I think it all comes down to like having that like knowing like, even though people are coming at you with, oh, you're a bad mom or, oh, you're, you know, doing this wrong. Like having that like quiet voice inside that says, no, I, I know I'm not a perfect parent, but I am the parent that my kids need or I am confident that I can parent them the way that I need to. Knowing that and letting everything else kind of roll off and not needing that validation from anyone else. I think that kind of is where the sweet spot is. Well, and ultimately, like, it is one of the ways that people try and bid for control again, you know, because if you're questioning yourself, then there's space for people to tell you what you should be doing, and how you should do it, and, like, drive your life for you, right? Interesting. And that's the battle is sovereignty, self-control. Like, you get to make your choices for you. And so it's, it's – I don't – it's kind of insidious, right? I mean, I don't think people mean it in like a necessarily nefarious way. A lot of times when people are offering quote unquote criticism, they mean it because they're like, well, we just want to see things going better for you or for your family or whatever else. Usually it comes from a generally well-meaning place, but it's not recognizing that they have their own limited perspective, you know? And it hurts so much more coming from someone that you're close to, like having some stranger on the internet say, oh, you're a bad mom. Like, Okay, who are you? But having it come from someone that you love and you trust 
you almost do give away your power. You're like, well, they know me. What if, like, what if that is true about me? And I have been seeing myself through rose-colored glasses, and I'm not who I thought I was. I mean, I think those doubts creep in for anyone. Well, and I think, at least in my situation that I'm realizing, especially with what you're talking about with control and maybe a way to gain control over me again, is the people that I've voiced my vulnerability to as far as parenting and motherhood goes, or or as far as that goes, are the people that are trying to criticize me in that way. And in some ways, it could be a level of control. And um, what I am struggling and maybe other of our listeners can chime in and, you know, tell us if they feel the same, but struggling with the dynamic of being the parent and mom that I want to be and just letting go of control of how everyone else sees it. Mm -hmm. And that for me is hard because it's easier when it comes to just me and then it's still hard. But when it's other people that they're making it seem like I'm negatively affecting somehow or maybe I'm selfish and I'm not thinking enough of them, um, it hurts because I. that is what I think of. Like night and day is my kids, even though it doesn't come naturally to me. I every day I'm trying even harder to find ways to make it more natural for me because I want them to my, I want my kids to know that I love them and would do anything for them. And I want them to know that, you know, all the things that I've done in my life that possibly could negatively affect them. I'm trying to help them through and create space for them. And I just need to learn how to trust myself. And I think that I don't, I, I hopefully, you know, as we go on this podcast, maybe, you know, I'll get there, but it's, that's been a struggle. And I know that we've all faced it in different ways, but trusting our own voice and embracing that villain era and letting people have control of how they're going to view us and being the villain in other people's stories is so hard. You know what though? Like trying to be a parent and like a parent in general in this day and age is like near impossible and trying to be a perfect parent in this day and age is, is impossible. Well, like even like you were, you said very nice things about me. That was sweet of you, honey. But I, (laughs) You are great. I do feel like even like things that come so natural to me with parenting, like I almost feel like I I go against those things because I'm like, well, what if I am too much or what if I am, you know, like a helicopter mom, that term gets thrown around, like maybe I should step back and then stepping back and not being so like involved with my kids feels foreign to me. So Mm -hmm. there's like, even on the flip side, like I could be doing things quote unquote right, but in other people's eyes, that's wrong. That's interesting because that's true. I do like see you as this mom that is, you know, amazing, 
but there probably are some areas that you probably could let a little control go and give a little bit more autonomy to the to your kids but maybe that's not authentic to you and maybe that's not what your kids need and maybe it's not and like we what all they need to want. trust yeah, yeah and we all need to just trust that you know what you're doing and you know what's best and let yeah. i just think you need to let i mean i have different relationships with all of the kids yours included and I almost just follow their lead. You can kind of tell like the way your relationship is going with them or by the way their interactions are with you, like what that person needs and if you're able to give that and vice versa. That's kind of how I base my parenting. Yeah. Well, and I think it's funny that we got kind of into this topic because one of the future episodes that we're going to be doing is looking specifically at like some of the challenges that have come up as, you know, a queer couple parenting kids in today's like culture and society, some of the hard parts that have come with that. And I think we've started hitting in on some of this in this particular episode. And they're definitely related with trusting self and setting those boundaries. And like you you have autonomy over self. Also, your kids are your kids, you know? Like I think I don't have children. So I can't speak from a perspective of a mom, but I can speak from, you know, what I know I want from the people in my life in particular, like the relationship I want with my parents is just to trust that they want what's best for me and that they love me, period, full stop, you know? And I think I see that in both of you and the way that you interact with your kids. And so like how that plays out in minutia and like day-to-day stuff, there's a million ways that can go and nobody knows your kids like you do, you know? Which I kind of love that we're not the same because I think we both do bring like very unique aspects of parenting to our household. So I think if anything, it's a positive, not a negative, that we're not on the same page with every aspect of it. Yeah. Well, I think what would be really interesting for that episode, that future episode, would be hearing other people in the queer community, you know, hearing their stories on, you know, are they experiencing some of the the same things we just talked about? And if so, what did that look like for them? Um, If people want to send us emails or reach out, we would love to go over all of those stories before that episode to give a bigger, broader view of what that maybe looks like for our community. Because yes, Brianna and I have... um, a small part of that view, but if we could hear all of your stories, that would bring such a bigger, wider view and see it from a different vantage point. Cause we really are in our own little bubble here. And I'm sure there's, you know, thousands of ways to parent or to be in a dynamic like you and I are. Yes. So please, please send us some of your stories. Um, I mean, it, it, this is at the end of our podcast always, but if you want to reach out to us, um, it's the Les Unpack That podcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear your stories. We would, you know, I would love to know that other people are going through some similar things to me to know that I'm not alone in it. And maybe we can create this little community around that and have a really positive, uplifting episode on 
parenting in the queer community. I think that's what everyone wants. They want to feel connected and like they're understood. So we would love to hear from you all. Mm-hmm. So I guess to wrap up this episode on people pleasing and boundaries and our villain era, stay wicked. Yes. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> My evil laugh. Can you please put that evil laugh in the beginning and the end? <laughs> I need you to clip that in, Matt. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm really not. I like want to embrace it and I want to be the, the evil one. And I just, I don't know how. You're too sweet. You <laughs> can't be the evil one. We're not one. trying to be wicked, but just uh-huh. own your sovereignty. Yes. yes. Love it. Okay. Catch you next time. It's my favorite laugh that you do. And I really like it when it's a genuine, like when it's not a forced one like that. <laughs> the Let's Unpack That podcast is an ally and advocate for the LGBTQ plus community and is devoted to giving a voice and creating a safe space for individuals and families of the LGBTQ plus community. If you or someone you know is having thoughts of suicide or self-harm, please seek help by calling the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-8255 or by calling 911. If you are under the age of 24 and need crisis intervention or suicide prevention, please call the 24-7 Trevor Project Hotline at 1-866-488-7386. We'd love to hear your questions, stories, and ideas for episode topics. If you'd like to get a hold of the Les Unpack That podcast, please email us at lesunpackthatpodcast at gmail.com. That's les, L-E-Z, unpackthatpodcast at gmail.com. The Les Unpack That podcast is produced by Charles C. Trabert, Brianna Marganti, and Liana Manabog. The Les Unpack That theme song was written and recorded by Matthew Davies. Mixing and editing was done by Matthew Davies. Matthew Davies.